Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Um, I am thrilled to death that we have another go around with a guest that I thoroughly enjoyed a few weeks ago. Dana Geffner is the executive director of the Fair World Project, and we did a show about fair trade, but it's such a huge and such an important global topic that there is just no way that you can fit in all that we want to know about it into one episode of Go Green Radio. So we have Dana back with us for the 2.0 or part two, the sequel of that show. And I'm just so excited to have her back. Dana, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm excited to be here. Well, I know that your schedule is very busy, so we are all glad that you could make time uh, to be with us on Go Green Radio again, because uh, I did get a lot of feedback from my listeners that they want to know more, they want to understand this, so that they can use the power of the purse to support fair trade in in an educated and informed way. But before we, we dive into some of the issues, I wanted to give you some time to talk about your organization, the Fair World Project. So give us give us some information. Yeah, great. Thank you. I'm really excited to be back again. Um, I feel like I didn't get to dig deep into some of the things that I wanted to dig deep into, so now I'm going to. So thank you, and thank you for asking about Fair World Project. So yeah, we were founded in uh, 2010 as a nonprofit focused on educating and advocating around fair trade issues, uh, both in the marketplace and also around public policy. Uh, Some of that includes standard analysis around uh, fair trade certification. Some of that is education and engagement and really inspiring consumers to become active citizens in our political system. So I just want to be clear that we're not a certification, but we analyze fair trade certification standards and create awareness around when a certification is either strong or weak, um, when they're weakening its standards, we really do try to raise awareness around that as part of our education and advocacy role. And so I started in the fair trade movement over 20 years ago, uh, really with the goal of bringing to light the struggles that people have endured because of different political policies that have happened around the world. Many of those policies are U.S. policies that have done harm to many people. So the reason I wanted to start Fair World Project was because I realized that the fair trade movement was so much bigger than just a set of uh, certification standards. And I really believed that people just needed the information to make better choices and be better engaged in our political system to really change some of those bad policies that we're seeing. Uh, So we use many educational tools. One of our biggest initiatives is our magazine, For a Better World, which maybe some of um, the listeners have seen. It's a free magazine. It has no advertising, and it's published twice a year, and it's distributed throughout retail stores across the U.S. and Canada. So it's in all the Whole Foods. It's in all the co-op grocery stores. It's in fair trade stores around the country. I'm in Canada. It's distribute. We print 200,000 copies of each issue. It's also downloadable, always for free, on fairworldproject.org. So the magazine is a really great way for individuals to learn more about our food and farming sectors, which in turn, we hope, really helps make informed purchasing decisions. And we have contributing writers that are working directly on the ground. Um, we also publish articles from academics and brand owners and activists. 
Um, and we were really excited about this current issue. We're, on, we're going into our 18th issue. This current issue that's on the shelves right now is our 17th issue, um, and it focused on women in farming and food. And this, the fe- this female-driven issue really focused on women being at the heart of our food and farming systems. And so it talked about women in seed, sa- seed saving, um, women tending to their own family plots, picking and processing and preparing um, the things that we eat every day because women really do touch every aspect of our food and we, and I'm putting myself in that space too, of course, often go unnoticed, are exploited and paid less than our male counterparts. So we really felt these stories needed to be told. So the other things that we do is we also provide trainings to retailers across the countries on the fair trade movement and how to understand certifications. And we create reports, as I discussed in, our last, um, in the last episode, and then we also have lots of videos that we produce around the fair trade movement. So those are just a few ways we work on education, um, really with our main mission of telling people's stories to inspire individuals to take action, to really work towards creating a more just economy. I love it. And I'm so glad that there is, um, you know, an organization like yours. But, you know, when you go to your website, fairworldproject.org, it is a treasure trove. I mean, if, if people want to know the, the nitty gritty of fair trade, I mean, you could information snack on your website for days. It's so good. And so I'm so glad that you had a chance to, to tell us a little bit more about your organization. You know, from the consumer standpoint, you know, our, our listeners are, are probably thinking, you know, if I walk into a grocery store, I'm going to see all kinds of products with a fair trade label on them. But one thing I really took away from your report, uh, Fairness for Farmers, and our earlier conversation uh, last month, is that fair trade really goes beyond a label. And I would love it if you could talk about some of that. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, I would love to talk about that, too. Um, so, yeah, fair trade certification can be really, it really can be a powerful tool, which is why we do lots of reports and work around, um, work on fair trade certification. Um, and what it does is it really allows buyers, both individual consumers and people making purchasing decisions at grocery stores or university food service providers to quickly recognize products that meet some minimum standards. Um, so, and we've seen a lot of success in initiatives to improve the food that goes into school lunches, programs like the Good Food Purchasing Program that are setting standards for the food that goes into schools in cities like, um, like in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., um, and in Cook County and Chicago, are really able to point to fair trade certification as one minimum criteria that is easily understood. And that can... And that kind of volume really can make a difference to farmers and artisans. But fair trade really goes beyond that label. I always say that it's a movement, not a market. I think I said that on the last show. I usually say that. Mm -hmm. Um, A minimum standard can tell a company that they need to pay at least this much, a certain amount, to a farmer for this product. There are a lot of quantifiable things that a standard can require, but I'll give an example that illustrates a way of doing business that goes beyond a label. So just a little bit of backstory. Uh, so, so much of our coffee or our chocolate or really most of the food that we all buy are bought um, as anonymous commodities by the manufacturers. So somewhere there's a list of offerings that has their main dis- uh, descriptions next to them. Maybe it says unroasted Colombian coffee. You know, maybe these days it even says FTO Colombian coffee, meaning that it's fair trade and organic. 
And that coffee ticks off all the boxes that meets those criteria. The roaster who buys that coffee can buy and sell that coffee as fair trade. And these days, they might even get some pictures and a short marketing blurb along with it to help pitch the story to consumers. Mm -hmm. Say those coffee producers have an off-season, though, um, which does happen. That roaster can keep scrolling down the list and choose a new coffee to replace it with the same criteria. And then maybe they swap out marketing materials, and, but you know, maybe they don't even need to. So there's another way of doing business, and I'm going to keep going with that coffee example. Um, so there are coffee roasters, for example, Equal Exchange, and many of the members of Co-op Coffees who are doing something different. They have been buying from many of the same farmer cooperatives for many years. So when that farmer group has an off year, um, which I mentioned does happen, they don't keep scrolling down the list to find another who fits the criteria. They will problem-solve solutions in partnership with their producer partners. What that looks like, of course, depends on the exact need which is um, generally different. So maybe it's funding on-farm investments. Maybe it's buying coffee that is inconsistent with what they've bought in the past and figuring out what to do with it and educating consumers about the difference. It's the kind of thing that all gets rounded up to long-term relationships when we talk generally about fair trade principles. It's not about minimum standards then, but really a sharing of the risk involved. How does that work as a business model? I mean, I, I'm try, you know, normally when when you know a, a manufacturer purchases something from their supply chain, the parts and pieces, or you know, raw resources. I mean, they have to turn that into a product that they can sell, and you know, I mean, that's how they stay in business. How how do these manufacturers, you know, create a, a viable business model or business strategy? And, and do that, even if these producers have an off year, how do they continue to get product that they can sell to keep a revenue stream going? Right. And it's, um, they, you know, a lot of them, um, well, because they have, you know, a lot of them have diversified, if I'm going to stick to coffee, they've diversified, diversified their coffee. So they have coffee oh. coming from different producer groups, but they're not going to just drop a producer just because they're having a rough year. They're going to stay invested in them. They're, the profits that they have can be turned into helping those producers um, because the the, you know, generally in conventional, you know, mainstream businesses have a lot of profit, but those profits are generally going into the pockets of their shareholders mm-hmm. um, or their CEOs. So these companies have some profits. They don't have as much profits, but they can invest in, they can invest those profits back into the producer organizations mm-hmm. to really help them. Um, so it's just a different way of doing business. It's a different way of using profits, um, that really helps their supply chains and producer groups and communities um, and really all of us. No doubt. I mean, that that is a great way of doing business. I mean, and it's it's one of those things that I'm sure, um, you know, consumers would want to know. And how can a consumer know that they're doing business with a company, a manufacturer, or, you know, an end brand that does things like that? Right, and I'm going to talk a lot. I'm going to talk a little bit about um, a, a little bit about how you can figure that out. But it is, you know, people need, do need to look at people's website, brands' websites. We have a lot of information on our website about mission-driven brands um, that really do have long-term relationships involved. 
Um, so that is a key part of fair trade. And doing a little bit of research is necessary since the label doesn't tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's why we take a lot of time in creating resources to help people guide their purchasing decisions um, so that they can make those informed decisions. Absolutely. And I notice on your website that you even have a tab for retailer tools. And I'd love to know just a little bit more about what kind of tools you have for retailers. Yeah, so we're still developing that on our website. I don't believe it's completely filled out, but we have uh, we have things like pocket guides that retailers can print out and um, that have information about what fair trade means and what the different labels mean um, and how strong the different um, certification labels are. Um, so retailers can actually put them in their stores. We also have um, po- we have postcards. We have on there that um, they can print out. We also have um, a way for retailers. We have a webinar that retailers can actually learn how to figure out what kind of purchasing decisions they should make. Um, so there's several different things that are going to be up there. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. And I'm sure just like with every organization, you have a vision for what the you know, what it'll look like, you know, a year, two years from now. And, and because the fair trade movement continues to grow, I'm sure those tools will as well. So that's so exciting. And I, I think it's important for our listeners to know that your website, um, fairworldproject.org, it has you know, information not just for consumers, but for retailers as well. And I love that. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we have so much more to talk about with Dana Geffner, the Executive Director of Fair World Project. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Thank you. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you've all tuned in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Dana Geffner, and she is the Executive Director of the Fair World Project. You can check out their website at fairworldproject.org. And um, we ha- we're just talking a little bit about her organization and um, some of the things that we can be looking for as consumers when we go into the grocery store during the last segment. Um, during this segment, Dana, I'd like to kind of go macro for a second and talk about the fair trade movement in general. How would you rate uh, the fair trade movement in 2018? In general, how successful is the movement at this time? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some really um, real highs and some real lows in the fair trade movement right now. Um, a lot of people would say that we were very successful because, of course, um, larger corporations want to get get in on the game. Um, but I'm going to start with the um, with the highs from my perspective. So over the last uh, three months, I've been lucky enough to travel to Ghana, Togo, India, uh, Sri Lanka, and Guatemala to visit producer communities. Um, and there's so much produce led development happening. It's so exciting to witness in person. I feel really blessed that I get to do this um, type of work. Um, in Kerala, India, I um, went in October because I, there was um, some flooding that happened, which I'll talk a little bit about, and I wanted to visit the farming communities there. And the producer-led development work that is happening is focused on building regenerative farming systems and gender justice. It's truly inspirational to see farmers organizing and using fair trade as a tool to sell their products. And we've been partnering with farmer organizations in Kerala along with Alter Eco and Equal Exchange, which are both two great fair trade brands, um, along with the national cooperative grocers retailers to raise money to rebuild after the climate change fueled flooding wiped out their farms and homes, which, as I mentioned, happened last year in, um, in September. And then in Ghana and Togo, I traveled with the owners of two great fair trade body care brands, Dr. Bronner's and Alafia, to visit um, each other's partner communities. And I got to witness them with their partner producers and really seeing how they're working closely together. And so while these two brands on the market shelves may look like competitors, they are working together on the ground really to empower the communities that they work in. So those sorts of fair trade partnerships are really a high point for me, Uh, and they're happening everywhere with brands, with mission-driven brands, with brands that believe in social justice and equality for everyone. So those are the real high points for me. Unfortunately, there are some low points, uh, which I sort of touched on in um, last episode. Um, So due to the ever-increasing corporate control in our supply chain, and more corporations moving into fair trade, some fair trade certifications, certifications are weakening their standards to allow bad actors in. And there's serious confusion in the marketplace around the intention of fair trade and the labels that are on the shelves. Uh, large multinational corporations are able to use a fair trade certification mark, but really have not needed to change the way they do business. Um, and so those fair trade certification agencies that are weakening standards to the lowest common denominator 
are also disregarding the roots of fair trade as a small-scale producer-driven solidarity movement. And really, so what's happening is those labels are at risk of becoming just another corporate social responsibility program that is top-down. And what happens is that puts the entire fair trade movement at risk, both on the ground as a solidarity movement and in the consumer mind, consumer's mind. Um, and there's a slogan used by so many movements, nothing about us without us. Um, so nothing without us. Nothing about us without us. And mm-hmm. I think that's true here, too. The strongest initiatives and certifications are those that are producer-led with major producer voice. I love that. Boy, that's actually, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, the first time I've heard that slogan. And I can think of about a million applications, even, you know, as mm-hmm. I'm seeing teens get involved with combating climate change. I mean, <laughs> they could easily say the same thing. I mean, the future is about them, and so they should be involved. I mean, that's... that's right. Wow, that just blew my mind. <laughs> right, right. And it. so many policies are created without the intended beneficiaries sitting at the table. So it is really important it? that producers' voice are there in the fair trade movement. Absolutely. Nothing about us without us. That's a great one. What would you say, Dana, are some of the biggest challenges facing those small scale and fair trade farmers that you're talking about? What are, what are the biggest challenges and obstacles yeah. they have to overcome? Yeah, they have a lot. Um, yeah, so small-scale farmers everywhere struggle to make ends meet, um, really because of corporate consolidation in our global food system and globalization, which is pushing supply chains to be faster and cheaper. And research has shown that small-scale farmers grow 70% of our global food supply, and they face many obstacles in keeping their land and continuing to produce our food. They face tremendous pressure, such as land grabbing from governments, universities, private, uh, private investors, pension funds, from mainly the wealthiest nations that want to buy fertile farmland from poorer nations. They have to contend with these unfair trade agreements, which are typically written by and for large multinational corporations with the goal of increased profits. They're also dealing with low and volatile prices, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later in the show. Um, And small-scale producers lack government and technical support, since subsidies tend to favor large-scale commodity farmers who focus on one or very few crops, so generally those that are using industrial monocropping methods. Mm-hmm. And corporate control of our food system extends corporate power beyond their own food supplies, for, uh, beyond their own uh, you know, supply chains to change mm-hmm. laws and use resources for political lobbying, um, which is ensuring that their own profits, um, and which ensures their own profits, even at the expense of all of us, um, mostly at the expense of small-scale producers. So... And now, small-scale farmers everywhere that didn't create this climate crisis that we're dealing with um, are really being the most impacted through these changing weather patterns, bringing unpredictability, which makes farming even more risky and economically precarious, which is forcing them off their land. You know, talk to us more, because I know it's very complicated and there are a lot of climate change implications, Um, but talk to us more about how climate change is impacting these farmers. And, you know, you've been on the ground, you've seen this firsthand, so take us there with you. Help us understand what you've seen and, and how this is really impacting these farmers. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's one of the things that I've really seen uh, more and more um, on my travels. So yeah, I've, you know, I've traveled to so many places over the last 20 years since um, I started in the fair trade movement, and I've been able to meet people on the front lines. And uh, again, more and more, I'm witnessing firsthand how these communities are being affected by uh, changing climate conditions. I'm also seeing how they are developing ways to prepare for this most dire predictions of our future. Um, and I've listened to growers of shea nuts, palm oil, corn, coffee, cocoa, and cotton discuss these changing climate patterns and the impact it's having on their crops and their livelihoods. And honestly, you know, producers themselves have identified changing climates as the biggest and most challenging issue they're dealing with today. So, so, you know, some examples are, um, well, one specifically I can talk about is the emergence of supercharged pests related to climate change, like Laroya, which is a coffee fungus in Central America, which threatens our morning cup of coffee, um, but it also threatens the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of small-scale farmers. Um, and, you know, I, was, I had the privilege of being with um, a, a women's organization called La Femme. They're a, this powerful and inspirational women's coffee co-op in Nicaragua performed this really heart-wrenching self-written play about what was happening to their coffee crops because of La Roya. And through this play, they explained that they would need to leave their farms to work across the border in Costa Rica in order to feed their families, um, leaving everyone behind, leaving all their loved ones, their, you know, their parents behind, um, their kids behind so that they can feed them. So, and on that trip, I was traveling with Fairtrade Coffee Roasters, Higher Ground and Just Coffee. And really, you know, these coffee roasters really showed me their dedication to these coffee farmers while they, you know, you know, promising, you know, we're all sitting, you know, in a circle crying, listening to this, and they're promising to support them through the harvest so they didn't have to leave their farms. It was really touching. Um, um, and inspirational to see these co- um, coffee roasters really be dedicated to these farmers, but also just heart-wrenching. Um, and then, you know, each year I have the honor to visit and listen to Guatemalan Mayan women through my board work my board work with Fundaciones de Mayas, which is a Guatemala foundation for women weavers. Um, and so, you know, they're women weavers, but they all have their own land they grow food on for their families. So we've discussed everything, you know, from their children's schooling to their family histories, but then we also really talk about some really difficult times that they're landing on, you know, they talk about the rains coming really late, really hard, and really fast, so their crops are totally ruined, and there's this urgency in their voice when they talk about climate change, and it's just, it's heart-wrenching. And then last year, as I mentioned, I spent time in India to film farmers impacted by the flooding in Kerala that happened in um, September, which was said to be the largest storm in 100 years. So there were landslides that damaged houses, roads, you know, bridges, crops, all their crops um, were destroyed, water tanks, dams, electricity infrastructure, the drinking pipes were even um, ruined, um, and it, they were still, they hadn't even really started restructuring everything. The government had start, hadn't started restructuring things when I was there in late October. Um, and so it's really impacting all these farming families. Um, so that was, you know, we did a video on that, and you can see a little short video on our website about that. And then in the last episode, I mentioned um, about 
chocolate, and I think it's important to mention again that it's estimated that it will be too. It, it's estimated that it will be too hot to grow cocoa by 2030 on the Ivory Coast and in Ghana, which are the two largest cocoa-producing countries in the world. What that means is that the livelihoods of 90% of the approximate 2 million small cocoa farmers in West Africa will be destroyed now in just 11 years. So it's pretty some some pretty scary stuff. Challenging times ahead of us. It really is. And and the magnitude of this is so large, it's hard to think about what can be done. I mean, are there infrastructure projects that could be done in these areas? Uh, you know, what what's the solution? I mean, I, I am thrilled to hear that there are, you know, coffee producers who are sticking with the communities. But, I mean... Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that can last if they cannot continue producing the product. So, I mean, what right. what are some of the solutions that they're talking about? So, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so, one of, you know, we helped to kickstart an organization called Grow Ahead. And Grow Ahead is working with farming communities to get funding to fund climate resiliency projects on the ground for all these fair trade farming communities. And I would encourage everyone to go to growahead.org and learn a little bit about all of these projects that are happening. Um, And they're all in partnership with all these really mission-driven fair trade brands that really do have long-term commitments. So there is a lot of funding that's happening, um, and there is funding um, there is funding at the government level that's happening as well, mm-hmm. but really we focus on, um, you know, Grow Ahead we felt was really important because, first of all, it's funding these climate resiliency programs, but it's also funding farmer-to-farmer training. So oh, okay. farming that's... communities are going to other farming communities to learn how they're dealing with some of the stuff that these farming communities Sounds have like... to contend with. And it sounds like I need to do an episode on that. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really interesting component of this. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, um, we will have much, much more on Fair Trade with Dana Geffner. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you can all tune in and so glad that Dana Geffner could join us. If you're just joining us, she is the Executive Director of Fair World Project. You can check out their website at fairworldproject.org. And this is the second episode that we're doing with her on fair trade. It's just such a big and such an important issue that I felt like I needed to have her back on to give us the, uh, the part two, the sequel of the first episode that we did with her last year. So, Dana, you know, you've cited low prices as a big challenge for the, the farmers that we've been talking about. But I want you to go into more detail about that. Talk to us about the challenge of, of low prices. Yeah, um, yeah. so low prices are a challenge basically for everyone who farms. And the latest from the U.S. Farm Bureau says that farmers in the U.S. get about 15 cents for every dollar spent on food in the grocery store. And two of the biggest fair trade crops have seen major crisis in the past few years. In 2017, world cocoa prices plunged, and they really have not recovered. That's a huge deal for all those cocoa farmers. In West Africa, for example, many of them are earning less than a dollar a day. And that's why the CEO of Hershey's salary is nearly $14 million. And then coffee prices have dropped dramatically, too, in the last year. The market price for coffee farmers has been hovering around a dollar a pound. I think the most conservative, conservative estimates I've seen say it's something like it costs a dollar forty to grow a pound of coffee. And the small producer symbol, one of the producer-led certifications we evaluate in our report, um, estimates that a fair price for coffee, one that includes enough to actually grow it and make enough of a profit to take care of your plants and feed your family, at a minimum, the price should be two dollars and. 20 cents a pound. So right now, millions of coffee farmers are earning less than half of what it would take to earn a living on their coffee. 
that would be a crisis by any measure. But what we also see now is that these same coffee farmers are also being impacted by climate change. What that looks like really varies. It might mean that their plants aren't producing as much, or maybe what they are producing is of lower quality, which means they can't get as much money for it. Maybe it means that their farms are getting hit by rain at the wrong time and their plants are drying up or getting carried away in mudslides. That's been going on for several years now. And so it's really like a perfect storm for these small-scale farmers as they're getting squeezed between low prices and climate change. I feel like every few months there's a new headline about the pending extinction of coffee or chocolate or some other crop because of climate change. But so often they don't tell the entire story. It's not simply that a, a crop is disappearing in thin air one day. It is the gradual squeezing out of the small-scale farmers who tend these crops. And so we hear a lot about migration coming out of Central America, especially right now, um, what's, mm-hmm. what's going on with our political um, system, our political, our administration. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, there's not enough talk about the root causes, but the root causes, and this is one factor pushing people out of their homes. The Weiwei Tenango region in um, Guatemala is a good is a good example. Um, this is where some really amazing coffee is grown. And while we off we so often hear about the violence in Central America being one of the factors driving people out, that region actually is st- statistically less dangerous than a lot of the rest of the country. So violence is not the root causes of people migration migrating. Malnutrition actually is. Uh, and I was reading an article the other day. The number of people leaving that area and getting apprehended at the border is up 87% since 2016. Wow. So I'd encourage, I know, so I'd encourage listeners to take a look at where their coffee comes from. Um, maybe ask, the not maybe, actually I do suggest that you ask the company you get your coffee from if they know how much they're paying for their coffee. And I know that most of us don't really feel like we have a lot of money extra, a lot of extra money laying around to pay more for things and that most of us are feeling really squeezed for cash every day. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that the portion of the final price of a product that goes to the person who grew it is really small. And I really think it's possible to increase that price that goes to the farmer without making our cup of coffee unattainable. And really, I know this because I know some great coffee roasters out there, companies like Equal Exchange and all the members of cooperative coffees who are paying those higher prices that are more livable, you know, two two twenty a pound or even more, and their coffee is not super expensive. We can all afford it still. It doesn't really change price that much. Um, so low prices and climate change um, coming together really has created a disaster for farmers in so many sectors. It's hard enough for farmers to make a living, but the current situation is just so dire. I think well, fair trade I, can be a solution. Sorry, what's that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah. Go right ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I was just going to say that I think fair trade really can be part of the solution or at least a part of not making it worse. Obviously, it's just part of the solution. We need strong policies to support people around the globe as well. Agreed. And I mean, this just drives home a point that is just way too easy to forget because we don't see the production. You know, we might see a PR Mm -hmm. flyer picture of somebody smiling, growing coffee 2,000, 5,000 miles away. But, you know, there, there are human beings and human suffering on the end of of, of everything that we put in our mouths. And it, yeah. it's just, it's inconvenient to think about, but it's a must if we want to keep 
having these products come our way, <laughs> um, the only way that that can happen is if human beings are able to grow it. Um, and and even if climate change were not a, a factor, I mean, people can't farm if they're too malnourished to do the farm work. It's hard work. So, right. gosh, this is it's it's complicated, but it's so important to remember um, that our fellow human beings are are impacted by our choices. Um, and I'm so glad that you're bringing this to light. So, so you know, with all this information, I I feel almost you know a little bit anxious, but I know you've got the answers for us. So when I go to the <laughs> store, <laughs> and there are so many labels and claims that are being made on packaging, how do I know what to trust? I mean, and and are there labels that are just too good to be true? Give us give us information that will help us mm-hmm. do the right thing when we go to the store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really great question, a question that so many people are, um, ask us to get to the bottom of. Uh, and, and it's a question that we spend a lot of time and resources developing tools to help answer. Um, you know, I tell people, so often I'm telling people to look for strong certification labels, and we have guides on our website to do this um, that really shows those. Uh, it's also in every issue of our magazine. So if you pick one up at a grocery store, you can actually walk around with this guide. Um, but then, really, if it seems too good to be true, it might be. So regardless of the labels, it's really important to look at the back of the package and see if you can figure out who owns that brand. There is so much consolidation in the food industry these days. Just a few companies own most of the brands on the shelf. Um, so one example that feels really relevant right now is Nestle. They're the second biggest food and beverage company in the world. They're famous, or maybe we should say notorious, really, around the globe for water, for water rights issues and all kinds of situations where they've had really exploitative relationships with people and resources. Right now in Mexico, they have been, there have been big demonstrations of coffee farmers because Nestle is putting in a huge instant coffee plant and is trying to get massive subsidies from the government. And that's happening while the government at the same time is cutting the support for coffee farmers. And so on one hand, Nestle is working against small-scale coffee farmers. But if you look at some of their higher-end brands, names like Blue Bottle Coffee or Chameleon uh, Cold Brew, they're all about supporting farmers and investing in quality. They might be doing that for some producers, but the reality is that their billions of dollars in profit is largely on the backs of farmers and communities around the globe. So we really should be supporting brands that don't have labor abuses as part of their portfolio, but it's really hard to tell from the market shelf. That's why we keep putting out resources, since it is tough to tell by looking at the shelves, and that's why we, we facilitate so many ways for folks to take action, because we need to do more than just shop our way out of this. You're so right. And I mean, you know, staying informed is is a difficult thing to do. I mean, let's be honest, Dana, this isn't being covered on CNN. No, <laughs> you know, it's not. And, and, <laughs> and it probably and, won't be. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's just too tantalizing to go through, you know, the administration's tweets. That's just too much fun um, to cover things like this. And and I'm wondering. That's why you know, Go beside, Green is so important. Right, exactly. <laughs> go Green Radio is so important. <laughs> and, you know, actually, 
actually, I got some good news in the last couple of weeks. We've expanded to a couple of new platforms. We're actually on Spotify now, so our listeners can listen to us even, you know, more easily and find us just as easily as as possible. Um, so I, I'm so glad that you're bringing this to light, and I can't emphasize enough to our listeners why it's important to spend a little bit of your time when you're going to be web browsing and looking for information on all sorts of things to also get out on fairworldproject.org, do some information snacking, get smart there as well. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we've got so much more to talk about with Dana Geffner, Executive Director of Fair World Project. Um, So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information, about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad to have you all tune in, and I I want to share some good news about the show. Uh, many of you can listen live, and we love you for doing that. It's so exciting. Um, but, you know, we realize everybody has a busy schedule, so sometimes you've got to check us out uh, on the archived broadcasts, which are either on the show website. You can check it out there. You can also check it out on iTunes. We've been on Google Play for a while, but uh, we just got up on Spotify, which is great news for me personally. I love Spotify. I'm on it all the time, and uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that if that's one 
of your platforms of choice, all you have to do is search Go Green Radio and you will find us there. So we've been talking about fair trade today with Dana Geffner, the executive director for Fair World Project. Again, their website is fairworldproject.org and they have such amazing resources and content and it's constantly being updated. Um, So I really want you to check it out if you want to learn more about fair trade and really we all need to. Um, it's the right thing to do, and it, it really can make a difference in the lives of people who are working hard night and day to provide us with things we enjoy so much, like our morning cup of coffee and, and our chocolate that, oh my goodness, I would hate to even envision my life without my chocolate. So, <laughs> Dana, I, I want you to talk to, to us about this. I mean, do you really think um, that this is a case where people voting with their dollars can make a difference. Yeah, I think that's a really important discussion to have, actually. And yes, I really do think it can make a difference. I think the fact that we're having this conversation is evidence that it can. The fact that we're having this conversation about how to distinguish good from a bunch of fluff marketing is a sign that people can make a difference. People have made it clear that they really do care about what they support with their purchases. Um, and I, I do think we still have a long way to go. One statistic that amazes me and motivates me to hustle a bit every day is that 67% of the cocoa grown by fair trade farmers does not get sold on fair trade terms. So they put in all the work to meet those standards, but there aren't enough buyers. Or put it differently, there's enough supply for all of us listening right now to quickly amend our New Year's resolution to only buy fair trade chocolate this year. And that number for coffee farmers is 72% not sold on fair trade terms. So if you're a coffee drinker, um, maybe you have one more New Year's resolution there, um, adding (laughs) fair trade coffee. (laughs) But seriously, um, all of our consumer choices are important. Um, We don't necessarily get a choice for every meal that gets eaten, which is also why we are working at the level of cafeterias and who decides what gets put on the trays of students in schools across the country. Programs like the Good Food Purchasing Program that I mentioned earlier are really helping make the shift in thousands of meals, making it so that these millions of dollars of public funding support good food that's good for the people who eat it and the people who grow it. So we're also part of a broad coalition organizing to campaign for real meals to systematically change purchasing policies by urging the three largest food service management companies, Aramark, Sodexo, and Compass Group, which includes Chartwell's and Bon Appetit Catering Company, to fundamentally reorient their business model from a system of exclusive relationship with big food companies and towards real meals by committing to a number of benchmarks for real food. So that's food that meets a number of criteria, including fair trade. Other criteria includes investing in racial justice and equity, reducing carbon emission, and industrial animal products. Real food that supports producers, communities, consumers, and the planet in a real way. And listeners can find out how to get involved with the Real Meals campaign by going to their website, realmealscampaigns.org. So again, Yes, I do believe that shifting our purchasing dollars away from exploitative businesses can really make a difference. And so I'd encourage folks to support those things at the policy level. Ask at your kid's school, ask at your office or your church if they're serving fair trade. Um, and we have a list of some great, well-vetted brands on our site that we, can call, that we call mission-driven brands, companies who are committed to these principles of fair trade throughout all that they do, not just for one or two products. And then finally, political action is important too. 
Um, again, I mentioned before that we can't buy our way out of this. Uh, so when we see the dire situations that small-scale farmers are facing in Guatemala and in Mexico, around the world, those things aren't just coincidences. Our food and farming systems, our economies are built on a long history of exploitation. They're designed to facilitate this race to the bottom where companies are chasing ever cheaper labor around the world and reaping ever bigger profits. I see fair trade as an important consumer choice. So yes, I, I, so yes, I do think that the way we spend our money is important. Um, and I also see that there are so many other things at stake which is also why my organization works on trade deals like NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement that's been in the news so much lately. The original NAFTA was a disaster for small-scale farmers. There's a get big or get out mentality that's written into so many of the provisions of these trade deals. And for small-scale farmers in Mexico, for example, that had a huge impact on corn prices. They got flooded by cheap corn dumped into their markets by U.S. agribusiness giants that were subsidized by the U.S. government, and it totally undercut their local markets. Corn is a staple of the diet in Mexico, and the Maya people's relationships with corn goes back to their creation stories. It's a sacred thing. They have so many locally adapted heirloom strains that have been growing in their climate for centuries, and then they're just getting overwhelmed by cheap, cheap corn. It upset a way of life. It upset livelihoods. And then you see rural people leaving their homes looking for work in cities, and that's continuing to fuel what we hear so often talked about as a migration crisis today. That's why when we talk about fair trade, we talk about it as more than an individual consumer's choice. We see fair trade deals, deals that protect small-scale farmers around the globe, as crucial for all of us. There are consequences for people when we support corporate profits over fair livelihoods for all. And while fair trade can make a difference in the lives of those who are within the fair trade system who are growing crops for export, the reality is that it's just a fraction of farmers growing just a fraction of crops. So yes, I think our purchases really can make a difference, and I think the purchases of our friends and families and communities can make an even bigger difference. And I think that that the biggest difference when we can see a real shift take place is when we align all those good things with the policies that we pass, which means it's important to elect people who value the input of their constituents and then for all of us to keep holding their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Well, and that isn't mm-hmm. a partisan issue. I mean, you know, if we learned nothing else from the Bernie Sanders campaign, I mean, he actually was critical of trade agreements that were signed under President Clinton's administration. So this is not a Republican, Democrat, progressive, you know, not progressive thing. I mean, there are disagreements within our major parties about these types of issues. So our, our listeners should Remember that this isn't something where you can just vote a straight party line and say, well, they care about this and and we're okay if we vote, you know, this way, because it's much more nuanced and much more, you know, involved than just Republicans or Democrats um, on these types of, of issues, these trade issues. I cannot believe right. we did it again, Dana. We we came to the end of an episode and I feel like there's still so much more to talk about, but I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I want to encourage our listeners to get on fairworldproject.org, check out all these resources and tools and information you can use to implement this value, this value system into your day-to-day lives. It can be 
be done. And like Dana said, we can update our New Year's resolution list to include this. Thank you for joining us, Dana. And thank you to all of our listeners for being with us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.